Hello! We're really glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you're doing well, and we're glad that you have interest in spiritual things. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we're really glad you've joined us today as we begin discussing a most important topic, uh, the most important topic regarding which we could discuss. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark begins by declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In John 1, and verse 34, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. In Matthew 16, 16, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 11, and verse 27, Mary confesses the same thing. John 20, and verse 31, John says he writes his Gospels that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In Acts 8, and verse 37, when the Ethiopian eunuch made his profession of faith, he declared that he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. So in all of these and many other passages, the Bible speaks of Jesus as the Son of God. But what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? What is the Son of God, anyway? What is the relationship between Jesus as the Son of God and God himself? Why is it that Christians throughout time have emphasized that Jesus is the Son of God when they've confessed Him? And that's what I'd like to discuss today. We begin with this idea of what a Son of God is. So in order to understand what a Son of God is, we need to keep something very important in mind. Jesus lived and died as a first century Palestinian Jew. And therefore, if we're going to understand uh, the titles he's called, uh, the conversations he has, and things of that nature, we've got to understand it in terms of the law of Moses and in terms of the practice of Israel in the first century, in Second Temple Judaism. So when we look at the Old Testament, uh, sons of God primarily are used in a spiritual, almost even perhaps angelic beings. In Genesis 6, 2, and 4, in Job chapter 1, chapter 2, also 38, and perhaps also in Daniel 3 and verse 25. Uh, so that's kind of when you talk about a plural sons of God. What about a son of God? First, we need to understand what it means to have a son of God. and We call this a patronymic uh, idea of, uh, of naming in, in Hebrew. Uh, there are no old, there's no, excuse me, last names in the Old Testament. Instead, a person is known as X, son of Y. So David, son of Jesse. Simon Bar-Jonah in Matthew uh, 16, 17 actually is uh, Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, and so throughout the, the, the Bible, people are the, the son of their parent, their father. And that's how they're known. Um... But son has other concepts as well in terms of relational connections. The children of Israel throughout the Old Testament are literally sons of Israel. Uh, if you want to talk about somebody's age, like Noah was 500 years old in Genesis 5 and verse 32. It says literally he was a son of 500 years. Eli considers Samuel his son, even though there's no biological connection in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 6. And in fact, there are many times where God speaks of Israel as his son. Uh, in Exodus 44 and verse 22, Yahweh considers Israel his firstborn son in the, uh, when he talks to Pharaoh. And Hosea calls Israel God's son in Hosea 11 and verse 1. When we talk about all these various verses, none are as important in terms of Jesus as the Son of God than what we find in Psalm 2. 
and in verse 7. And this will be used frequently in the New Testament to speak of Jesus. Uh, But Psalm 2 in verse 7, the psalmist declares, I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And continuing on in verse 8 and 9, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, throughout the ancient Near Eastern world, there was the belief that a king had a special relationship with God, or the gods, depending on the culture. And so, a king was considered as a son of God, an adopted son of sorts. And so it's not genealogical in context in the original uh, when, when it was said in the days of David and afterward, immediately. But uh, it's an adoption of sorts in that context. But it was understood as, as being messianic. It's a royal psalm. And by the first century, that's what Jews were expecting. So if you were talking about somebody and you called him a son of God in the first century, in Second Temple Judaism, you, people would understand what you were saying is this is that king that God had spoken of in Psalm 2-7, the king that was promised to come. He is the Son of God, and that he would rule over the nations. And we can see this in Matthew 14-33, 26-63, and 27-40, and in John 9-35 and 19-7 as well. So, when it comes to Jesus as the Son of God in the New Testament, we see that he's called this as a confession or an accusation. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, when Satan is making a trial of Jesus, it will always begin, If you are the Son of God, you know, turn these stones into bread, or cast yourself down, or something of that sort. In Matthew 8.29, Mark 3.11, and Luke 4.41, when demons are about to be cast out, they declare Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, John 1.34 and 1.49, Matthew 14.33, and John 11.27, Acts 8.37. John the Baptist, the apostle Nathaniel, uh, Peter, also uh, Mary, and the Ethiopian eunuch confessed Jesus is the Son of God. In Matthew 26.63, 27.40-43, when the high priest is uh, brought case against Jesus in his trial, he, he asks, Are you the Son of God? Tell us plainly. He asks uh, this very question. Um, in his accusation against Jesus. And many who watched him die on the cross say, well, if he is the Son of God, let him come down from there. We shall believe in him. Um, interesting, though, in Matthew 24 and verse 50, 27 through 54, it's the Gentile centurion uh, who sees the death of Jesus, and because of all the things happening surrounding it, says, truly this was the Son of God. In Luke 1 and verse 35, Gabriel assures Mary that her child will be known as the Son of God. And so this even has divine attestation from the angel Gabriel, but God himself in Matthew 3, 7 and in uh, related passages, in Matthew 17 and related passages, uh, the Father declares, this is my beloved Son, Uh, hear ye him, for instance, in the transfiguration. And it's not that Jesus himself denies it. In Luke 22, 70, John 3, 18, 5, 25, and chapter 9, 35 through 38, 10, 36, and 11, 4, and also Revelation 2, 18, he owns a term for himself, that he is the Son of God. And that John writes in John 20, 31, and 1 John 5, 13, so that we may believe he is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God. In Acts 9, and verse 20, when Luke kind of summarizes what Saul he conver- kind of proclaims after his conversion, it is that this Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Son of God, according to the Hebrew author in Hebrews 4.14, we are to hold fast our confession. 
And those who confess Jesus as the Son of God abide in God and God in them in 1 John 4 and verse 15. And so we see throughout uh, that a lot of the times that Son of God is, is used to describe Jesus, Jesus as the Son of God, it's in this confession or an accusation. And we can ask, why is there such an emphasis on that? And the reason there's such emphasis on that is because it really speaks about the relationship with Israel with God. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to say a lot about these relationships. As we've seen, Israel expected there to be a Messiah, the one who was called the Son of God, who would reign the kingdom of God. And that's why this is the accusation the Israelites make against Jesus, because it's just another way of saying he's the Son of David or the King of the Jews. Um, but in John 10 and verse 33, uh, we can see that the Israelites saw that when Jesus talked to him about himself as the Son of God, it wasn't just saying, hey, I'm the king that's supposed to come. They were seeing that he was identifying himself as God. And so he's, when he says he's Son of God, it's not just, I'm just the king, but that he's actually having a, this deep relationship with God. And... He will go on to make clear in Matthew, Jesus will make go on to make clear in Matthew twenty one thirty three through forty six and in related passages that when he is rejected as the Messiah of Israel, uh, they thus kill the Son of God, and Israel therefore bring God's judgment upon them, and we see that in that parable of the vineyard that the last, finally God sends the master sends his son. They think, well, if we kill him, this is the heir. We'll be able to obtain the property. So they kill him, and and they all know that the Pharisees, the chief priests, elders, everybody listening knows what the fate of those people will be. That God will come and will dispossess them of that heritage, and that's unfortunately exactly what had to happen. So it does have a lot to say about the relationship between God and Israel and Jesus. But there's that idea of that divinity. And when early Christians spoke of Jesus as the Son of God, they weren't just saying, hey, he's this king. But they understood he was actually God, that he was the only begotten of God. And so that when, in Psalm 2 and verse 7, Yahweh says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, they understood that in a very real sense, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was born of the Holy Spirit and of Mary in Matthew 1, 18-25. And also in John 1, 1, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. Literally Emmanuel, God with us. And that is why in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6, Colossians 2 and verse 9, 1 Peter 1, the first two verses, Hebrews 1, 3, we have this em emphasis in the New Testament that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is, in fact, the divine image in bodily form. This is a very prominent theme in John. The first 18 verses of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And it goes on to talk about that. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That no man has ever seen God, but that the, the, the Son, the true God, has made him known. In eight, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Ego Amy, which in, in, in Aramaic or Hebrew would very much sound like Yahweh. Which would have, which is why the Jews picked up stones to stone him, in 10:30 as well, which we, we discussed earlier. First John 4: 1 through 4, uh, that the confession that Jesus came in the flesh, but that he's God. In Second John 1: 3, and also in the beginning of Revelation, and that's why the confession aspect is so important, and why that it's the confessing Jesus as the Son of God is what you see throughout the New Testament. Because to say that he is Son of God is not just to say he is King and therefore Lord, but that he is divine and has this exclusive relationship with God the Father. And that's very important. Likewise, when we understand 
that Jesus is the Son of God is we understand God the Father as a Father. And that's what we see in Second John, second verse, and to find so many of Jesus' discussions in John, where in John 6 and 8 and 10 and 17, he speaks to God as his Father. It's not a very prominent image in the Old Testament. We've seen it, as we've already mentioned, in, in the three passages, Exodus 4.22 and Hosea 11.1 1, directly about Israel, Psalm 2 and verse 7 about the king. But throughout the Old Testament, the prominent image of, of God is as husband, and, and Israel as wife. But because Jesus considers himself the Son of God in the New Testament, uh, the Son of his Father, that is why the New Testament speaks of God primarily as the Father, and expresses that role, for instance, in the parable of the prodigal son and the older brother in Luke 15. In Romans 8, 11-15, the idea that we are adopted sons of God through Jesus. And First John 3, in the first two verses, the, the, the great wonderful thing that it is that we can call God Father. And that's so important, that it's through Jesus that we get this adoption, and to share in the blessings of the family of God, and the love of our Father. And that leads to a very important question. Well, how can it be that Jesus is the Son of God, and Son of the Father, and yet God? In Romans 1 and verse 4, Paul says that Jesus declared the Son of God with power in his resurrection from the dead. He'll also re- emphasize that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and Colossians 1, 18. And this word monogonies is, is the word that has the only begotten uh, in, in this verse and, and many others. And like John three sixteen, 16, uh, it, it's used there. The, it, it can refer to actual birth, that somebody is the firstborn, but also refer to prominence, that he is unique or the idea of one and only. And therefore, there's in some of the creeds, there is this understanding of, of Jesus the Son is begotten, not made. And the idea of that is that what you beget is different from what you create. That humans, for instance, when they have children, it's other humans, but they can create other objects. And so if God would beget something, it would be God, but would be creating the universe and humanity and things of that nature. And, he, and if this terminology of Jesus, the Son of God, is referring to an actual father-son relationship or just a primacy in relationship that he is unique and close to God, Scripture makes it clear that the Son is co-eternal with God, the Father, and not created. In John 1, he is, in, he is active in the creation. In Romans 1 and verse 25, Paul indicts the pagans for having given, the crea- given to the creation the honor and worship due to the Creator. And if... To, to give that honor and worship to Jesus is to give it to creation. Uh, Christians would be condemned under that same idea as well. And yet that is not the case throughout the New Testament. And so this is why we do need to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and it, that means He is God. And helps us understand who God is as a Father. In one sense. It helps us understand more about who Jesus is. That he came in the flesh and dwelt among us as Jesus, but he was always God. And it explains his power to do all these miraculous things. It explains his ability to see what would what was going to come to pass. And it helps us understand how he still can, can be who he is and reign as he does. And so it's for good reason that we conf- when we confess Jesus, we confess he is the Son of God. 
When we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, we're confessing that he is the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, which was prophesied by Moses and David the prophets. He is the king of Psalm 2-7 uh, that God was talking to. And that he is reigning right now in the kingdom of God, that he has been given all authority, and will have it until the final enemy, which is death, has been defeated. And that is why everyone should believe in him and confess his name, because you're either going to do it now in humble submission, or you're going to find yourself forced to do it in the day of judgment. And this is in Romans 1-4, 1 Corinthians 15, and in Philippians 2, 8-11. When we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, we're, we're confessing his incarnation. And it's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, the idea that God became flesh and dwelt among us, as we've seen in many passages in Matthew, John, 1 John, and 2 John. And... This is such a problem for people because uh, it seems kind of strange. The Greeks had ideas of gods taking on form of flesh to fight or seduce humans, but their philosophers uh, had little uh, use for the physical realm and find the idea that God becoming flesh and humiliating himself in that way just beyond imagination. And that the Jews, the idea that God could become incarnate, be embodied, and dwell among us is just anathema, and continues to be a reason why they reject Jesus. But early Christians yet still powerfully tested to his incarnation in the flesh and the idea that he is God in the flesh and that he's raised in power to live and reign forever. And in the face of all of those who would didn't, to, to emphasize his divinity but deny his humanity, uh, John exhorted Christians to remain firm that Jesus was the Son of God, having come in the flesh. Uh, in 1 John 2 through 5 and 2 John. If you accepted this, you were a true believer. If you rejected this, you were an unbeliever and an antichrist. Furthermore, we confess Jesus is the Son of God. We're declaring that God's unity is not in person, but in relationship. Because there's Jesus, who is the Son of God, therefore God the Father, and also there's God the Holy Spirit. And it also allows us to identify with God in a familial or relational way. That we are sons of the Father in Christ, and therefore uh, brothers and sisters of Jesus and with one another. In John 17, Romans 8, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15. We confess Jesus is the Son of God. We are declaring that Jesus is co-eternal with God, active in the creation, and that all things were created in Him and through Him and unto Him. That all things continue to exist in Him and through His power that He continues to use to sustain the universe in Colossians 1, 15-17 and Hebrews 1 and verse 3. And when we declare Jesus is the Son of God, we're declaring that Jesus is active throughout the history of the universe. Not just in creation, but also in Israel. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul will talk about the spiritual rock that followed Israel in the wilderness was Christ. In Jude 1 and verse 5, that the, the Lord, the Jesus, uh, saved a nation for himself out of Egypt. Uh, so it, it, many early Christians uh, saw all of the interactions between uh, God and Israel as actually Jesus is the one. The, the Word, the Son, was the one who did such things. And when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, we declare Jesus is the embodiment of God, that he expresses all the divine characteristics, and by whom we can understand the nature of the Father. And that's why, if we want to be godly, we must be like Jesus, who himself is God, was God, and will always be God. In John 1.18 and chapter 14, Colossians 1.15 and 2.9, Hebrews 1 and verse 3. So if we really want to understand who Jesus is, we need to understand that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. There's so many ways that Jesus is portrayed in the scriptures and throughout history. And that's why we do well to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. And thus he is the Messiah, the King of Israel. He is human in his incarnation, but he is also God in the flesh, the God-man. Jesus has a prophetic word for Israel, but he is not just a prophet. Jesus, the Son of God, the God in the flesh, co-eternal with the Father, the Creator, and the, is the risen Lord, and he is worthy of all honor and glory.
in that light, it's interesting to explore Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His aims were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. There's so many times we, we have in our eye, mind's eye a picture of Jesus. We close our eyes and think about who Jesus is. And for so many of us, it's been shaped predominantly by those pictures we see of Jesus. And those pictures show a man who is mostly white, soft, gentle, unassuming, harmless, long hair, maybe holding a sheep or a small child, who couldn't seem to hurt anything, it looks like. But, let's see this picture in here in Revelation chapter 1. Granted, Jesus has that, that human element, and 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 is loving and caring. But look at what John sees. Yes, John sees one like a son of man. And he yet is described like the Ancient of Days. So there's almost this hybrid of, Dan, in Dan, of Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days and the one like a son of man. And the, the sight is very terrifying. He has a voice like a roar of mighty waters. He has a sharp two-edged sword proceeding out of his mouth. His eyes are a flame of fire. If you are confronted with that, Jesus... You're not going to laugh, you're not going to giggle, you're not going to think he's soft. You're going to be terrified, you're going to fall on your face as though dead, just like John did. And therefore he is always worthy of reverence, glory, and honor. And so when we think about Jesus in our mind's eye, we, we can't allow some of those pictures of Jesus to uh, distort the fact that, yes, he is the Son of Man, and he is caring and loving and gentle, but he is also the Son of God. He is the one like a son of man who appeared to John in this terrifying way, who is Lord and who reigns and who ought to be served and respected and worthy of, of glory and honor. And that is why we need to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to the glory and honor of God for all eternity. And if you have not yet made that confession, we encourage you to consider and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to declare it, to confess that, just like all of these people in the New Testament did, to change your heart and mind for the better, to repent. Uh, to, to, to no longer go the ways of the world, but follow Jesus, to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, and to follow Jesus as his disciple, uh, to live the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, to do the things he says, to participate in his reign and his kingdom from now until eternity. And if we can help you do that in any way, or maybe you have a prayer request, maybe you need to talk about something, maybe you have questions about other subjects, if we can help you in any way, Please get a hold of me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or if you'd like to know more about the Venice Church of Christ, uh, I encourage you to look us up online at venicechurchofchrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Meetup, Twitter, uh, mostly at Venice Church. And if we can be of any service, please let us know. We again thank you. Have a great day.